Welcome to episode four of Cake Talks, brought to you by Heineken, where we talk with independent experts who offer their advice and expertise on the current issues facing the hospitality industry. We also take questions from you via the Pub Collective website, and we'll be including as many of those as we can in today's discussion. And today we're going to be talking with Mark McCulloch, CEO of brand and marketing consultancy Supersonic, and Alison Battersby, founder of Avocado Social. And we're going to be discussing how you can optimize your online presence to reach your local communities and what tools you can use to help you do that. So welcome, Mark. Welcome, Alison. Um, if we could just come to you first, Alison, just to tell us a little bit about uh, what you do and your background within this area. Hi, I'm Alison, founder and CEO of Avocado Social. At Avocado Social, we offer social media strategy, social media training, and also social media management. We've worked over the last six years with a huge range of brands, including Tesco, Pringles, and also Star Pubs and Bars. We're experts in hospitality and food marketing. And also we really pride ourselves on training up social media managers and marketers into how to use the best tools out there. Thanks, Alison. Mark, could same for you, just a bit about your background. Yeah, sure. So I've been doing this type of thing, I guess, for 20 years. So pre-digital um, almost and, and pre-social. So background was music magazines, um, so Loaded and Enemy and all that fun stuff, as you can imagine, the 90s. Um, and then the big one, which is hopefully really relevant for today, is lastminute.com. So I sort of grew up there uh, when digital was unknown. And it's actually given me a huge advantage even now, as digital's you know, still not as understood or as used as it could be. Um, and then from there, uh, Bartley Card, and then across to Pret and Sushi and into hospitality. But Coming up to the present day, you know, worked with um, lots of pub, you know, very famous pub and bar companies and beer companies to reposition their brand, um, you know, for success, do marketing strategy and a bit of execution and work across the digital and social space. So whether that's leading the campaigns for them or, or inputting to that as well. Um, and then like Alison, you know, what I do a lot of is facilitating speaking on the subject etc etc but obviously people don't check out my, my digital channels and someone gave me an, an amazing um piece of advice which was uh, i'm a coach not a player so <laughs> if anyone comes along to my instagram and says he doesn't have five hundred thousand followers um then you know that's a good line which is i'm a coach not a player um so yeah so really enjoy the, the digital world as well as branding and marketing that's great thanks mark so we'll start off if we can just talking about uh, issues around social media. So, Alison, if I come to you first, um, could you just give us some advice on how you think it's best to sort of reconnect with our communities around the reopening? Absolutely. So, I think during this time, a lot of businesses have kept their social media profiles going, which is great. Not going silent, um, I think, was an important part of keeping everyone interested and engaged in your brand. Um, and also understanding, you know, what was still available, whether it was delivery, takeaway, um, and however businesses were approaching things. I think the key thing at the moment is to let customers know exactly what your plans are as soon as you know. 
Now, obviously that's uh, easier said than done because so many people aren't quite sure of what their plans are or what the government guidance is. However, the sooner you can announce your reopening, the better, because that gives customers a good amount of time to plan and to plan their own logistics, their visits, you know, when they're going to be coming to visit you and who with. So I think that would be the first thing. And then secondly, it's reassurance that people are after. People want to know exactly what's changed, what's different that they need to know about and how can they come and visit your business or use your services in a safe way. So anything you can do to communicate any new policies and that would be maybe, you know, filming somebody walking into your premises, perhaps filming some of your staff serving, showing what's going on in the kitchen. People want that visual reminder or that visual bit of confidence to come and visit your premises. And are there any other sorts of communication we should be thinking about? Is there other more sort of day-to-day -day stuff that we should be thinking about communicating? I think definitely um, the sort of general logistics around your business. You know, your, your opening hours, your menu, are the things that are slightly reduced that you need to consider. Anything that essentially a customer might ask you about as well um, is useful to just get out onto your social feeds. So are you still doing you know, gluten-free foods? Are you serving alcohol? All of those sort of logistical, frequently asked questions are great uh, prompts for social media posts. So don't wait until someone asks you, but just go ahead and start sharing some of that information as soon as you can. I think there's an important point here as well, which is on top of all that is to do it in your own way. You know, and, and, and try and maybe even make it a bit interesting and fun and engaging. Now, there's a great pub, Big German Beer Hall in, in, in Manchester, and they are doing it in such an interesting way that when you got takeaway, for example, you know, they weren't just saying we do takeaway. They had dancers on stilts with a DJ playing all day. And there's no ROI on that, you know. But that clip was one of the first clips, I think, through lockdown that made me smile coming from an operator um, and then also they've just done their you know we're opening but it's like a circus person you know a ringmaster that's a woman she's saying you know the beer the beer hall is is awakening and it's just like just you know don't go for route one if you can try to get the message across but try to get something of yourself across too you know don't compromise you know really yeah. try and make it come from you and I guess that would mark, that would come back in, we're going to talk about branding later on, but I guess that's all part of making sure all this stuff fits within your brand in some, some way or another. Yeah, well, I guess it's just every single thing that you do should be on brand, you know, whether it's through social media, whether it's through a flyer, whether it's through anything. Um, but it's just that important point that getting the message out there is great, but don't just make it functional, you know, try, try and make it interesting. Yeah. Um, and Alison, in terms of the, the communications, the social media side of things, um, have you got any tips or advice on how many platforms we should be sort of communicating across and, and what potentially are the best for those of us within this sector? Hmm. I think a lot of it comes down to your resource, how much time you actually have available. Um, for those that aren't actually doing social media themselves, it's always a surprise to 
realize how long it actually takes to craft a post, to put it together, to make it look good, to share it, to pick the right hashtags. So I would not um, advise you to sort of create too many social media channels that are going to overwhelm you and then you end up doing them all quite badly. So on the whole, generally, I'd say um, businesses tend to stick to around three on average. And the most popular ones um, tend to be Facebook, Instagram, and also Twitter. Um, YouTube is a big one as well, but obviously it does take quite a lot of um, preparation time to create a video that would be sort of YouTube friendly. YouTube does favor longer form content. So sort of 10 minute videos plus. So that's something really important to understand. But going back to your strategy, I would really think about where is your audience? Is your audience on TikTok at the moment? Is your audience on Instagram? Where are your audience hanging out online? And that's where you should focus on being. Um, a lot of the time, many businesses um, kind of can get very overwhelmed with social media. So I would just say select the ones that you know you're confidently going to be able to keep creating content on. For food and drink, I think Instagram is an absolute must now. It seems to be the channel that everybody loves to share, what they're eating, what they're drinking, what they're doing. And the rumor is that over the next few years, Instagram will overtake Facebook in terms of how many users it has. So we shall see, but it'd be good to get your foundations going now. Uh, that's really interesting about the picking the platforms that your customers or potential customers are using. I mean, is it all right to replicate content where feasible, obviously, you know, TikTok and YouTube are going to be a different beast, but is, is replicating content okay or should it be bespoke to that platform? I would say there's nothing necessarily wrong about replicating content, but you've got to be realistic that you're never going to build a hugely engaged community on a platform like Facebook if every update you've done has just been scheduled across from Instagram. There's certain language and certain styles that people stick to on various platforms. So on Instagram, I'm sure many of you've seen, people like to use a lot of hashtags, whereas on Facebook, people hate hashtags and think they look uncool. So if you're then putting 20 or so hashtags on a post on Facebook, you're gonna very quickly look like you don't know what you're doing. There's other language that's very Twitter specific, like RT means retweet, that you just wouldn't necessarily see on another platform. So if you are gonna replicate content, I think you've just gotta be aware of making sure that the language is right. And also sometimes when you tag someone on Instagram, let's say, they might not have a Facebook profile. So if you're then putting that post on Facebook, it ends up being a dead link. So it doesn't actually tag anybody. And again, that can look a little bit unprofessional or a bit like you don't really know what you're doing. So there's a few things you really have to watch out for in order to make sure that your business looks credible. Great. Also, the algorithm is going to punish you for that as well, you know, in, in a lot of cases, you know, in terms of the language you're using, in terms of the hashtags. And, and if, if something looks out of place, you know, in the first shot while well, you've posted it, then the algorithm's not going to get behind your post, therefore it's going to get lost, therefore 
you might as well have done something different and, and rather than shouting into a cup, you know? So yeah. it's the, there's a lot at play there. So you can think, I've ticked it off my list, few easy, you know, but at the same time, longer term, you probably pay for it. So it's tricky. Yeah, you're right, Mark. And also there's some things emerging, like video does so well on Facebook, but actually in the UK, still images still do better on Instagram. Right. So it's not the same rules algorithmic wise per platform. So if you end up just sharing the same content everywhere, as Mark said, you're not going to cut through the noise. So Alison, you mentioned scheduling tools there. Is that, are we saying if you, if you haven't got the time, use them or are we saying that it should be more bespoke? What, what's your sort of take on that? I mean, I'm a big fan of scheduling tools because I like to be organized. And I do find that if you've kind of got your social media schedule written, it's going out there, it's going to be more, it's going to be easier for you to keep your platforms up to date. Whereas all the businesses I meet, it's the people that are sort of doing it off the cuff that it very quickly gets to the bottom of their to-do list. That being said, there's a, there are some risks with scheduling. I think the first is that you become a bit of a robot, that everything you do is just scheduled, not very reactive. It's not very news focused or discussion focused. It's just whatever marketing message you want to push that day. And the other risk as well is that if you're scheduling all of your social media, you're not logging into the platform. Therefore, you're missing half the fun of social media, which is the chatting to your customers engaging following people clicking on hashtags and discovering things and that's such a key part of growing your social media is to be present in the feeds and to comment on people's content and like other people's content and so you can very quickly miss out on that if you are scheduling everything so i like to advise that you should have a few key messages scheduled every week but you should be logging into the platforms every day and at least checking your notifications and being present in some way in those feeds. There's so many scheduling tools out there. It can be overwhelming when you first start researching, but having tested most of them ourselves, our favorites are Later, which is a great tool for scheduling Instagram. It allows you to plan out your feed visually so that you can decide exactly how that page is going to look before it goes live. So that's just later app. There's another great tool called Buffer, which allows you to schedule multiple social media channels, including Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and more. And then also do have a look at the platforms themselves. So you can schedule Facebook and Instagram within Facebook itself in a section called Creator Studio. Now Creator Studio is fairly new. It only came out this year. So there's still a few things they need to iron out, but it's completely free and offers you a great dashboard where you can manage both Facebook and Instagram from the same place. So I would start by having a look at those three and just seeing whether they suit your needs and whether you like the look of them. And what about in terms of uh, boosting posts? Is that a good thing to be doing? And, and if so, how do you decide what to boost and when to boost and when not to boost, as it were? <laughs> yeah, I mean, over the years, Facebook has become a bit of a pay-to-play platform. So 
it's very difficult now to grow a Facebook page without some level of investment and boosting a post, which essentially means paying Facebook some money for your post to appear in the newsfeed of your audience, an audience that you choose, is a great way of getting your brand out there. And you can spend very minimal amounts on boosted posts. I mean, usually the average is somewhere between sort of 10 and 30 pounds that people seem to spend. The mistake that I see people make a lot with boosted posts is that they're using this to try and drive traffic back to their website to then purchase or book. Boosted posts were never meant for conversions. They're simply meant for getting more likes, comments, shares, and views. So if that's what you're after, great, use a boosted post. But if you're trying to drive people off Facebook and onto your website, you're gonna have to spend a little bit more than 30 quid, unfortunately. <laughs> and that's where social media advertising comes in, where you would be setting up campaigns on Facebook which are all done through a section called Facebook Advertising Manager. And that's where you can run your campaigns on Instagram as well. Great, that's really useful. Mark, thoughts on that? Same, same yeah. <laughs> It's my favorite subject. I'm always asking for Al's help on this. Basically, the, the way I'm seeing it in, in chats that we've had before is boosting becomes quite addictive, like a two quid bet, right? So everyone just goes, I'll boost that one, I'll boost that one. And do you know that way, if you've got a page of text and if everything's bold and underlined, then everything's bold and underlined, there's nothing, there's no, you know, diminuendos and crescendos and, and, and you know. So I, I think from that point of view, it's just be mindful of that. Don't be addicted to boosting. Everything's not worth a boost. Um, and then the other thing is, back to the budgets that Alison said, you know, it's like, if, if you're sticking 10 quid on it, 30 quid on it, you'd be better sticking it on a horse or on the lottery, right? You know, so sit down and really think about what you're going to put your money behind. And a much better way to do it is look at it strategically. What do you want people to think, act, and do, and really target your audience? You know, this is effectively the big red button. You know, hit that and sort of cross your fingers and see what happens. Um, but I think you're better to, to look at it a little bit more strategically if you can. We tend to find that the, the best posts to boost are the ones that are already receiving a certain amount of engagement. So that's an, another thing that I see businesses do, which is, oh, that post hasn't done very well, let's boost it. Whereas you need to completely flip that. If a post is getting likes, comments, shares, it's gonna fly if you put an extra bit of 20, you know, 20 30 pounds behind it. And that's the thinking you should be looking for. Right, that's interesting. So go, going back to Mark's uh, horse racing analogies, there's no point flogging a dead horse. You might as well. <laughs> right. Um, and so, Alison, uh, everyone, uh, we're talk we've spoken a few times uh, about engaging with our communities. Online reviews, um, and specifically if we get negative comments, um, any advice or tips on the best way to deal with those? I would say in, in social media, the best thing to do is respond in a very timely manner. Try not to let something just sit there for hours and hours and hours without any reply. That's when things can sort of blow up and snowball. So try and reply and get that conversation into a private area as soon as possible. 
whether that's a DM or offering to give the customer a call directly, anything that shows that you're being proactive is good. You know, you want to sort out that issue. You don't just want to let it sit there on Facebook. So that would be my key tip. I know Mark knows a lot more about some of the review sites out there as well. Mark? Yeah, yeah well, I, yeah, I've, I've, I've sort of helped a couple, um, you know, in terms of their branding and stuff, and through that I had to look into it a bit more. I mean, th there's a human element here that we need to get over without thinking about social or, you know. So it's just don't be defensive perception is reality that happened in that customer's mind so what happens is you need to sort of turn the telescope the other way and you need to see it from their point of view so drop the defenses straight away and then you know and just be as kind and as positive as you can be to try and turn that around and I know it's hard and I know some customers are right there and I know it might not have happened and, and all these things but um, it's a real big one that gets in the way of it so um, just be as kind as you can be on the post. As Alison says, get them off being online, sort it out, but then post what happened and, and how you resolved that and just try and turn that around. There's no cheating the the TripAdvisors, the Googles, the, the Facebooks of this world in terms of reviews. Um, and that's one of the number one comments we get around digital, which is what can I do to take these negative comments off? To which the answer is, be better. I mean, like, there's, there's no, there's no shortcut. There's no hack. Mm. So, um, you know, it's that way. If, um, if, 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 if something smells, you know, it, it could be you. So, you need to look at all these comments that are coming down and see if there's a. Think about it as a business person. Is there some trend here? Is there some, you know, sort of pattern that you can see? And and how can how can you help that? But yeah. the best thing you can do is just try and be best as you can on site resolve any issues on site and then that will stop people going online and complaining if you can just nip it in the bud straight away and another good thing is at the end of a meal or a pub visit or whatever rather than asking was everything okay to which the british answer is oh yes of course it was amazing although you feel sick um it's what could we have done to have made this visit better a proactive question you know that then people might oh right oh actually the toilets were a bit this or that was that or that, you know, just nip it in the bud there and then your, your problems won't be as big on social. The other thing to think about is Google probably is number one place now for, for social media reviews, sorry, for uh, restaurant reviews and pub reviews. Um, TripAdvisor and, and, and Facebook are sort of jockeying it out now um, and Facebook will overtake TripAdvisor eventually. So, you know, and everything that you do on there will help your algorithm push you further up and be noticed more so there's there's a background vested interest in doing well in reviews as well mm, great um and Alison, final question on the social media side of things um social media influences uh what what are your thoughts and also assuming you know there is some there's benefits how can people get started yeah, absolutely so social media influencers do have a bit of a bad reputation. I think uh, when you say the word influencer, a lot of us think of these sort of lifestyle influencers that are on holiday all the time, posing in their bikinis or washboard abs. And actually an influencer can be anyone, you know, whether they're an expert, an MP, a journalist, a local blogger, 
it could be anybody that has influence over their social media community online. It doesn't necessarily have to be somebody on Instagram. Instagram influencers are probably the easiest to find and source and then to contact because all it takes is just a direct message to them. And so when I'm um, thinking about influencers, I'm always looking out for potential relevant people that might be interested in visiting a pub, a restaurant, and what kind of experience they might be looking for as well. Is it more a romantic meal or do they want to come in and watch the sports with all their mates? What kind of experience could you offer them that is going to be of interest that they would absolutely want to shout about on their feeds? So the first thing would be to source some influencers and identify some relevant ones. So think about things like their age, what they post about, where they're located. Um, think about how much engagement they get. So, you know, what's the average kind of comments or likes they're getting on their photos? How many followers do they have? It's obviously a key one, but remember that you can buy followers. So don't always trust those numbers that you see. There's um, quite a lot of talk in the industry that now using micro-influencers, these are people who typically tend to have sort of less than 20,000 followers, maybe even less than 10,000 now. But these micro-influencers are the easiest to work with because they, they won't command any rates, so they won't ask to be paid. They're just looking for a freebie. And second of all, they're actually getting higher engagement rates than some of the mega influencers. So they get more likes, comments, views on their content from engaged relevant audiences. So you need to do a little bit of research work first. And I would spend a couple of weeks doing that so that everything is you know, very organic. It's not just a case of finding someone and contacting them straight away, but you spend some time to follow their, their stories or you follow them and enjoy some of their social media posts for a couple of weeks first. Maybe drop a few likes in there every now and again to show that you're watching. And then it would just be a simple case of thinking, what can we offer that's going to be a unique and fantastic experience for this influencer so that when they come in, they're definitely going to post about it. And all, all you need to do is just drop them a very kind of quick message to see if they're, first of all, interested in even coming along. Um, and secondly, you can work out the finer details once they've said yes. Great, thank you. Great, and Alison, we've covered loads in our conversation. Um, have you got any sort of just final top tips? In terms of making your social media content eye-catching, I'd definitely be thinking about the way that people scroll through social media. People are moving very quickly from posts to feed to stories. So anything that's going to pop in their feed is going to help stand out. So that would be, I would say, high quality imagery, images that are bright, no white backgrounds. We don't like white backgrounds because Facebook and Instagram have white backgrounds. So it's not going to stand out. Also think about including people. We all love looking at pictures of people. Uh, we're all nosy and it's called Facebook for a reason. And also anything moving tends to do well. So that could be video, it could be a quick GIF, 
a boomerang, um, anything in Instagram stories that is moving is going to capture people's attention. And then I also get asked quite a lot, when is the best time to post? And the true answer is, there is no best time to post. It actually just depends on when your target audience are going to be online. So put yourself in your shoes of your target audience. When do you get the most website inquiries? When do you get the most phone calls? When do you get the most bookings? Those are good indicators to know when your audience is online. But also try out different times. Try a really early morning versus quite late in the evening and just see. But social media is fluid. And even if you find one time that works one week, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the same the next week. So that's why I think it's important not to be obsessed with a time in the day and just to consider when generally might my audience want to book a table or review the menu. So we're going to move on to websites and all things associated, Mark. Um, so I'll come to you initially. Um, so could you just give us your sort of overview of the importance of a good website and I guess whether it is even more important in the current situation than it, than it was before? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, again, back to Alison's earlier point, which is where are your consumers' attention? If you are a pub, then what do people really want to know? They want to know where you are. They want to know what's on the menu, opening, you know, all the basics. Do you really need to spend a huge amount of money on that? And also, it's not that, it's the upkeep of it all and all the rest of it. However, when you then get into the world of search and Google and all these things, if people are searching for best pint in Nottingham, the best Sunday roast in Glasgow, whatever it is, then you want to appear there. And one of the main ways that you're going to do that is through having a content-rich website. So it's a bit of a business decision. If you are an independent, if you don't have a lot of budget and all the rest of it, you do need to make that call where you actually say, am I going to commit to having A, a website, B, the resource to then update that often, C, maybe additionally, to do even more content on it, you know, to keep it content rich so that Google spiders come out and index it and, and make sure it's near the top. And then on to D, which is, well, actually, are you going to then get your local listings sorted and, you know, and all these different, all this search engine optimization and engineering that needs to go on. And that's even before you've done any advertising for it. So I think there's a pragmatic element, which is the democratization of technology is a great thing for smaller businesses in a lot of ways. I think you can be a lot more nimble. You could probably get away with a website that is, you know, one of these like link pages, you know, link fire pages, something like that. But if you're there for the long term and you know, you're, you're at the next stage of your business, then you want to obviously have a content rich website. I think a key thing as well is mobile friendly. You know, sure. that's what Google's looking for now. That's what consumers want. I mean, there's nothing worse than loading a website on your phone and the links don't work and you're having to zoom in and zoom out on the menu and you can't work out how to book. And yeah, that would be uh, one of my key things. Yeah. And, and I think the other thing is sometimes it is just that safety. So, you know, coming on to your point of coming out of lockdown probably is important that you've got as up to date as possible on what you're doing um, to keep everyone safe what it looks like in there, 
you know, all that sort of information. So it would, it would be a smart move, definitely. Would that, that, I guess that would come back to Alison's earlier comment then about the, you're demonstrating you're enthusiastic and happy to be open again. However, you were also recognising people are anxious, people have concerns, people are worried about their safety, striking that balance. Yeah, I've, do, I've, I've been doing some webinars um, with a, a research company of late, uh, Cam Media, and, and one of the big things that they've been talking about is pretty much number one up there is, you know, I need to feel safe before I'm going anywhere. And in that sales funnel, um, you know, to get, you've got to get people out. That is the first job of hospitality. You've got to get people to break that habit that they've got into. Um, actually, maybe even get them into some trousers, things like that, you know, <laughs> get them into the wide world. But I think there's two things hospitality can do. And one is promise that magic that we've all been missing. Um, and promise that safety, you know, you don't just get licenses handed out willy-nilly. It's really hard to get a license. Mm -hmm. So these people are serious professionals. So actually, you know, hospitality can do a great job to bring people together safely, which is exciting. Yeah. Um, and Mark, I'm going to give you a very broad one because you mentioned like that one of the key benefits is search engine optimization and all, all things associated. Could you just give us your sort of take on the top tips on what you can and can't do? The best things you can really do are use the Google web tools that are available. So there's webmaster tools, there's keyword tools, and they're all free to use. And it is just time and effort and gray hair and beard scratching to say, right, what are the most popular, so this is one of the tips I would say, what are the most popular keywords that are searched for every month in terms of what I do. So that's kind of one axis. So pub, whatever. Then the other axis is how competitive is it to feature there? So the other problem that you do have is you've got competitor pubs, you've got um, actual magazines and media. So a lot of these things, if you type in best Sunday roast in Brighton, then the first three pages will actually be local or national magazines and media. So you're bumped onto page four. And the chances of you beating the Times and the Daily Mail to that top spot is reasonably difficult, you know, um, and expensive because they've got a high, what they call a high domain authority. Mm. So you've got to sort of look at this graph of the highest volume keywords and then the most competitive and then start to spot gaps where actually what you could do, for example, is you could go for the long tail. And what I mean by that is maybe it's an ingredient that you use that no one else uses that, or it's a drink that you sell that no one else has, or it's something about the history. Those all convert better because it's more, it's further down the chain of what someone is looking for. They're looking for Induya. They're looking for garlic, lemon, chicken. So from, from that perspective, that's a good area to play and that will convert better. But what you are always aiming to do is get further up that dinosaur or giraffe neck, you know, from the tail to the, to the top, going all the way along. Is You want to be, first of all, the best pub in Cleethorpes, right? You just want to be there. But that takes time. The other thing I would say is just try your best to keep your website as fresh as you can weekly. So Google's sending out the bots maybe every other week. Um, and it's, it's coming back with a report to say, this hasn't been touched for six months, don't bother. So if you can keep updating your blogs, if you can keep updating your videos, but make sure they're well tagged, there's alt descriptions in there, because Google 
can read videos, but not to the same extent that it would read text. So you want to build up that picture. And the last thing I would say is when you're writing anything, think about the keywords you want to show for. Make that the punchline of your joke and then write the joke. So when you're writing any blog, any piece of script, think about it like a slalom pole race in the skiing. Go all the way down. What does your pub serve? And what do you want people to come in for? And what are they looking for? Another um, another idea could be just to get other websites linking back to you. So Mark mentioned um, local news. Um, you know, any kind of online PR you can do, whether that's even just being listed on some sites like TripAdvisor and Yelp, that's going to help with links back to your website. And that's one of the many, many, you know, 250 things plus that Google is looking at to rank your website. So any way you can get other people linking to back to your website is always going to be beneficial. And it's a great PR tip, which is if you are selling a story to a media house and a newspaper or whatever it is, just be cheeky and always ask if they will link back because the, the, as standard, they usually don't. So you have to kind of push for it. Um, and I guess hopefully you're in the Daily Mail for good reasons. <laughs> Not world's worst pub. <laughs> uh, you certainly get a lot of traffic from that. Yeah. <laughs> Any PR is good PR. <laughs> so, the, the other thing I would say on SEO as well, just to, to finish up that bit, I think is um, it's about you having as many pages on your website as possible. They, they won't always be visible from the front door, um, but building out those pages, which is all about you know, maybe it's something about the furniture you have and then doing something a bit specific on that and just have, it's like an exam. You don't get, you know, an A plus for just writing the answers 42. You need to show all the work in. So just as much as you possibly can to, to pack that in. You might think it's boring, um, but actually Google won't and the customers won't when they find you. And also under 40% of people will go in through your homepage as well. So really think about that. They're coming in through the roof, the side door, the cellar, the whatever. So um, you need to think about that customer journey as, as, as they're going through as well. Mark, you mentioned earlier on about you know, building the website and how you uh, provide content to the website. It, it kind of depends on the mix of media and your time and your commitment. Any tips on if you decide you're going to build it yourself? Mm. Some thoughts on that in terms of how to do it? Yeah, I mean, there's a load of great apps out there and, and functionality-driven websites that will help you sort of plug and play. So the ones that I personally favour, uh, Wix has been fine, you know, for some of my smaller clients that just need to get something out there. And um, we're even, with me and my, my friends, we're actually running a radio station off of Wix, so it's very capable of, of handling media and, and all that. Uh, Squarespace I use personally. Um, I really like Squarespace um, and it hosts everything for me. So it's got good intelligence in terms of media, uh, blogs, video, images, you know, all these different things. It's very, very capable. Um, and the one that sort of used to get a bad name, but was almost becoming the premier one now, I suppose, is WordPress. You know, over the years, WordPress used to be really buggy. So you'd, you'd get it made. And then eventually they would stop that plugin or they would stop that background or it just was open to all sorts of issues. But I've got a friend with an agency down here and he builds websites that are quarter of a million pounds on WordPress. 
So, um, so I think it's under starters orders, and if you've only got a few quid, I would probably check those. You wouldn't go far wrong, but try and spend as little as you can on it, and spend as much as you can filling it up. Yeah, <laughs> like Heine can recommend use your local dot com where they they yeah. say ten minutes to build it. Yeah, definitely. Um, God, that, that sounds really exciting as a little test to build your website in ten minutes. So, <laughs> if there's tools there for you that you know and love, and it's part of the part of the, the family, then go for that for sure. Having a web presence, it just legitimizes you. You know, people will search for you, and if you're not there, they won't come and visit you in real life. So, it's best to have a website up there in some shape or form for sure. But just bring it all together. I'll come to you both, but first, Mark around the brand side of things. Um, why, why do you think the brand is so important in, in, in sort of unifying all this stuff and ultimately what we're all after, driving people to come visit our venue and, and use our business? Yeah, well, I, I think it's, it's fairly straightforward in that you want to get across as simply as possible what you stand for and what you're all about. And therefore, you want to attract people that want and need what it is that you're, you're providing. And basically, if you don't have a brand, you're kind of building a house on, on, on sort of rocky ground, really, because eventually you could come unstuck. So what you want to be able to do is have those firm foundations to say, this is our positioning. You know, this is why we get out of bed in the morning for our customers. This is um, our role in life for you. Here's what we do. Here's how we do it distinctly and differently from everyone else. Here's how we sound. Here's how we look. Um, and then trying to bring it all together, maybe in a couple of words. Because people want to pigeonhole you. People want to see, oh, that's that place that... And you can only get a consistency of service, a consistency of staff, a consistency of message, a consistency of sales, and hopefully an upward trajectory of sales, um, through something like brand. Otherwise, it's like a religion or something, you know, what, what are people looking to to guide them? You know, that you'd be all at sea. So I think at the very least, you want to get those constituent parts down to say, you know, here's what we're in the business of, here's what we're all about, and here's what we deliver for you. Um, and then sort of grow it from there. And it's not that difficult to do. You know, there's a couple of great books on it. You can go through it yourself. And at least it's a start, you know. Um, if you go into Amazon, there's one called Winning in Your Own Way by Robert Bean, um, and it's a great book. It's only about 150 pages, mostly pictures, um, easy read. Um, and it's a great guide on, on how to do this. So um, I just think it's imperative. I think, you know, it's taking what Mark has said, but making it visual. So everything in social media, you know, is judged upon the first couple of seconds someone looks at your Instagram, your Facebook, your uh, video on YouTube so your brand has to come across visually and consistently if every single post that you do in social media is looking quite different and you know one's black and white the next is you know um, very very bright bright colors the next is you know some old font it just looks a mess and people aren't going to engage with you so you need to think carefully about how your brand ethos is going to come across in a visual way. And my best advice would be to have some brand guidelines. You know, what are your fonts? What are your colors? 
uh, when you're photographing food, what are the kind of rules around that? Do you always do it on a certain background? Do you always do it from a certain angle? When you're introducing staff on your feed, are they all wearing, you know, smart uniforms or are you doing more kind of behind the scenes, off the cuff content? So just thinking about some of these things, which will be part of your strategy is a really, really good way of making sure that your social media has an immediate impact when someone lands on your page. Just, just, just to add to that as well, I've, I've been doing a bit of studying and, and self-learning lately, um, just in lockdown. And one of the things that came out was brand codes. This is a great tip. It's exactly what Alison said. Um, but think about something like Snickers. So you've got the Pantone Brown, you've got the Parallelogram, you've got the strong blue font, but then you've also got the rip, you know, of the of the nougat nugget, whichever, wherever you're from. It uh, depends what you say. Um, but it's that. So when you export that out to Instagram, right, how, what would make me stop when I'm going through my feed? And also, I would also maybe even go past the thing, recognise it, go back up and go, oh, that's my favourite pub because of that look, that font, that, so if you always think in terms of brand codes, the greatest brands have them. So how else are you going to be able to achieve that if you don't know what your DNA is? You know, you're, you're going to struggle. Yeah, that's great. Thanks both. Uh, really informative. Lots of good stuff there. Lots of things to think about. Thanks very much for your time.